another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. One man's view of the changing world and changing times and what we can do to adapt to it to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Got me on an afternoon today. It's about 5.30 and 104 degrees in sunny Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, I'm in a good mood anyway because I made some real progress at the office today. And I feel good about that. Happening to be surrounded by some really large trucks right now. i got them on my side, back, front, rear, all over the place. So if there's a little noise, I apologize. But I uh, wanted to get this show in if I could. I've been getting an awful lot of inquiries from people as, as they filled out my contact form about guns. About, you know, which guns you need for self-defense, which guns you need for survival, which guns to protect your family, which guns to protect your house. Guns for hunting, guns, 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 guns. It's a big topic with uh, the survival community. Haven't done a show yet on firearms because I wasn't exactly sure what to do. I mean, I, I try to keep the show engaging and entertaining, and I think guns are something people have a lot of opinion with. But I think a gun show would generally go better if I could uh, get to a point where I could start having calling guests and discuss like a certain aspect of things with a with an expert and kind of get some going back and forth, rather than just one guy's opinion of guns. But I'm going to do the best I can with it, and I'm going to cover uh, a few different aspects of, of guns and firearms and my thoughts and what you can do to begin to. Uh, uh, to make uh, the you know the ownership and the mastery of firearms part of your survival planning, uh, I am a massive supporter of the Second Amendment. I am a member of the National Rifle Association. I would say I know I have some international listeners, but if you're uh, if you're an American and uh, you believe in the right to keep and bear arms, and you're not a member of the NRA. Uh, I highly suggest that you become a member. Uh, they're the only group uh, outside of the state rifle associations, anyway, that are out there really uh, looking out for us. Uh, I don't see the NRA as uh, an activist group or anything like that. I actually consider the NRA, and they probably, I think that they actually consider themselves the same way. They're the oldest civil rights organization in America. They've been around a long time, over 100 years. And when we look at the Bill of Rights, we're talking about civil rights, intrinsic, inherent human rights, and, and the right to self-defense. Uh, and that's what the Second Amendment's really all about. I mean, when you have these politicians talking about, well, I support farms for hunting and sporting and whatever, the Second Amendment is not about putting meat on the table, okay? It is not about target shooting. It's not about skeet shooting. And all this other hyperbole that, that politicians try to use to make themselves sound like supporters of something they don't really support. Second Amendment of the Constitution is about your individual personal right to self-defense. And in revolutionary terms, the right of the people of the United States to at some point in time be tired of their government and overthrow it. Remember again that the Constitution is a dangerous document. It was written by revolutionaries. It was written by men who, if we had lost the Revolutionary War, would have been hung from gallows as traitors. That's who authored this thing. That's what they meant. They did not mean so that, you know, today you can go out and dress really sporty and put on a vest and, and go shoot some ski that we'd have a Second Amendment. They may have had a Second Amendment. If somebody broke into your house, of course you had a right to shoot them. All right, don't break into somebody's house. You don't want to get shot. That's what the founders meant when they wrote that thing. Don't think.
think for a minute that they didn't. You know, George Mason said, who is the militia? I'll tell you they are the whole of the people except for a few public officials. So in other words, the only people that the Second Amendment doesn't apply to are members of government. It applies to the whole of the people. It's one of the authors in the cornerstones uh, of the Constitution. So, you know, let me just open this by saying if you're not a member of the NRA, go join. Uh, support the one organization that defends our rights. Now, let me be clear. I don't think they do everything right. I think they make some mistakes, and sometimes they go a little too far on a few things, but, hey, they're all we got. So support them because they're looking out for you. I really believe that. Kind of moving on. Um, I'm going to make this like a generic, broad-level show with just a few opinions about what type of guns that the, the average person should have. Let's start out with something that you might find a little bit surprising, given my absolute assertion that you have the right to own a gun. If you've never owned a gun before, if you've never been trained how to use a gun before, uh, if you haven't had a, a family member that's taught you exactly how to use a gun, things like that, don't go buy a gun yet. Go to uh, a place where you can get some good training on firearms. Rent firearms during those training sessions and get trained how to use a gun, how to do safe things, how to be safe with a gun. I'm not for requiring a license to own a gun. I think it's ridiculous. A license is for something that's a privilege. The minute we allow licensing to own any firearm whatsoever, we've given away it as a right. We've turned it into a privilege. Licenses are for things that you have as a privilege that's been bestowed upon you or granted to you. That's why a driving license that lets you drive a car means that driving is a privilege. I don't believe it's your privilege, all right, granted to you by our state to own a gun. It's your inherent God-given right. That's how the Constitution reads. So I don't want the government forcing this training on you, but if you're going to go out and buy a weapon that's capable and actually designed to kill, that's what a gun is for, it's for killing. All right, you might buy a shotgun that's made for sporting purposes, that's for killing birds, or you might buy an AR-15, which is the civilian analog for the M-16, that's made for killing men. But a gun is for killing. If you're going to own, possess, and handle something that's designed to kill, then you have an individual responsibility to ensure that you're properly trained on how to use it safely, when it's acceptable to deploy it as deadly force in defense, and when it is not. If you do that, you will be a responsible gun owner, and you will not give fuel to the fire of the whack jobs out there trying to take away that ride from you. So before you go out and buy a gun, in spite of what I'm just about to tell you as to what I think you should have, make sure you're properly trained on its use, its safety, and the legal aspects of when and where you can deploy it legally. All right? Disclaimer done. Let's get down into the meat of this thing, and let's talk about one of my dearly loved subjects, which is guns. Uh, one of the questions I see go around in a lot of forums is, if you could only own one gun, period, that's all you could afford, that's all you could have, or you had to run away and take one gun with you, what would you own? And I'll tell you what I would own. I would own a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge shotgun. And I'm going to give you kind of the pluses and minuses of both of them. Let me tell you why I would choose to use the shotgun first. The shotgun is the single most versatile weapon for both defense and for survival needs known to man. A shotgun can be used with a limited range for shooting things like small game, uh, birds like doves or, or grouse or pheasants or small game like squirrels and rabbits without completely ravaging and destroying them if you use them with uh, lighter shells with smaller shot sizes. Uh, let's say seven and a half is a pretty good standard game load. Uh, I shoot doves with number nine shot, very fine shot. Uh, but you have that versatility there. 
Uh, you can go to a heavier shot size, like a 5 or a 4 uh, shot, or some people even go down to a 2 for this, and you can shoot geese ducks. Uh, with a shotgun, even long-distance shooting uh, at, at, at passing shots at waterfowl, okay? Uh, you go down into the, the buckshot size things, and you can take medium-sized game like deer with buckshot, and buckshot is a wonderful home defense load. Because when I put buckshot into a guy, I know it's not coming out the backside of him, going through his back and, and killing my son in his bedroom, all right? So it has that ability to, uh, to give a tremendous amount of power at the distances that you would encounter in a home defense situation without having the likelihood of pass through the way that a slug from a handgun or a rifle might. And then if you need extended ranges, there are slugs available, and there's the old-style slugs that are maybe good for accuracy-wise for 25, 35 yards out of a smoothbore gun to these new high-end uh, Sabo-loaded um, you know, rifle you know, you can shoot 150, 200 yards with a shotgun as a rifle. There is no other weapon available to civilians with that kind of flexibility. It is the absolute most flexible weapon that you can own. Hence, if you don't own a gun and you're looking to buy your first gun, once you have your proper training, etc., that's why I recommend you start with a shotgun. The next thing about a shotgun, if you learn to shoot a shotgun well, Learning to shoot a rifle well will be easy. Go out, shoot some skeet, take some lessons. Learn to feel the gun. Learn to follow through. Learn to keep the gun moving when you pull the trigger. You get that down, and learning to shoot steady with a rest with a rifle is simple because you'll get the point and instinct that comes from the shotgun first very, very, very effectively. So for just overall versatility, one end to the other, can't be the shotgun. Now, 12 gauge versus 20 gauge. Let me give you kind of my view on both of them. Number one, when it comes to pure power and the ability to, to take out a, a, a foe or to knock down a bird at a greater distance, nothing that the 20 gauge does can't be done better by the 12 gauge. The 12 gauge will win that fight all day long, every time, no, no questions about it. You've got more pellets. Uh, so you've got more chances to hit, you've got more power, and you've got more capability. Plain and simple. If you are in a situation where you're uh, trying to buy some ammunition, uh, 20 gauge is pretty common. It's not really hard to find, but uh, if you can find ammunition, if you can find shotgun ammunition, I guarantee you there's 12 gauge ammunition. Especially when you start looking for slugs, buckshot, different shot sizes. Greatest availability is a 12 gauge. All right. Those are the two real big reasons: just greater power and uh, greater availability to choose the 12 gauge. 20 gauge has a lot going for it on the other side of things. Number one, if you want to carry a significant amount of ammunition, do not underestimate uh, the uh, the value of a 20 gauge shell being quite a bit smaller than a 12 gauge shell and being able to carry more ammunition, especially if you're trying to carry, let's say, some buckshot, some birdshot, some slugs. All right, you want to carry a significant quantity or store a significant quantity or move a significant quantity. That's a real advantage to the 20 gauge. If you're a hunter, and I'm a hunter, I like to go out dove hunting and, and, and quail hunting and things like that. Uh, you got to ask your question, how much killing does a dove need? Now, how much killing does a quail need, even a rabbit? How much killing does a rabbit need? Now, a 12 gauge, you can take longer shots, but a 20 gauge does the job cold. All right? And uh, the beauty of a 20 gauge is they're usually built on smaller frames, and that means they weigh less. And if you're going to spend a lot of time in the field hunting, 
that a 20 gauge is a lot lighter to carry. And even half a pound makes a huge difference if you spend a lot of time in the field. So if you're a hunter, you know, 12 gauge, you have greater knockdown power and longer range. But a 20 gauge, you got a lot of uh, a lot less weight to carry. And I actually do most of my upland game hunting with a 20 gauge for that very reason. I'll give up, you know, five to seven yards of my limit on my range for that lighter gun. Uh, so that's nice. A 20 gauge is a deadly weapon at home defense ranges. And, and my favorite buckshot load for home defense is not the big old standard double lot. It's number four buck. Number four buck gets almost twice the pellets into the shell as double O. Because if you think about shotgun pellets, they're round spheres. And the way when you get spheres to a certain size that they stack in that shell, there's a lot of space in between them. And you drop that shot size down, and this is not number four shot, this is number four buck shot. All right? They're about 22 caliber in diameter. So, and there's a bunch of them in a 20 gauge shell. And uh, they'll hit with about the velocity of a 22. So it's like getting shot with a whole bunch of 22s at one time uh, in a fairly tight pattern. Uh, home defense situation go in your house and find the greatest distance that you could possibly be and have a clean shot at somebody in your house. You're going to find out in most houses it's not very far. So a 20 gauge, absolutely adequate in the home. Lighter, generally it's easier to find shorter weapons without going and buying these tactical guns or whatever. Uh, you can have a sporting gun. So a 20 gauge, I think, is a great home defense weapon. So it's up to you which one you really want. I own 12 gauges and 20 gauges. But if I had to pick between the two, personally, I would go with a 20 gauge. I'll give up the power because I know it's more than adequate. If I was going to be in a real survival situation, you were going to send me off like in the woods to survive, I, I might take a 12 in fact, no, you know what? No, I wouldn't. I would take a 20. Because if I'm going to have to, you know, hump and slop through the woods, and back to a weight advantage on the ammo and the gun. Uh, 20 is my personal preference, but I couldn't fault the man for picking a 12 there. All right? So that's kind of my thoughts on shotguns. I'm going to finish up with one thought on these shotguns. I mentioned these technical models. I want you to think about the psychology if you ever got... And I don't look forward to shooting somebody in my house. I really don't want that to ever happen. But if somebody comes in and threatens my family, they're going out horizontal, and they're probably going out with shotgun pellets in them. The psychology, though, of when you when somebody comes to your house, please come into your house to, to take this guy out. You're sitting there with this tactical, shortened, extended magazine, black, heat-guarded tactical shotgun. And you shot this guy with double O buckshot in the chest when he broke in your house. You may have been completely within your rights. And if so, and if he was a good shoot, I think he should be patted on the head. But never underestimate our, you know, legitimate, uh, you know, our law system to go out and prosecute people who shouldn't be prosecuted or for the family to sue you. And if you're sitting there with a, a 20 gauge dove gun, that, you know, you can say, basically, I'm glad I had a gun in the house and I had some shells around and I had to shoot the guy and I wish I did. You look like a homeowner that happened to use your personal uh, uh, weapon that you keep mainly for hunting or sporting purposes to defend yourself because you had to. With that tactical shotgun, the right prosecutor or attorney could make you out to look like some gun nut that was just waiting for the opportunity to shoot somebody. So that's something you definitely need to consider. Moving on, let's talk about uh, the, the next... Uh, I guess I would say most important weapon that you can have when it comes to defensive situations is a good solid handgun. I'm not going to go into this too much because there's like a million handguns out there and a million models. I'm just going to give you my opinion of a few basic different types of handguns, try to stay generic with models 
and not try to be out endorsing any particular model. I think for in the home, or if you wear clothing where you can you know, routinely carry them, there is a lot to be said for a good old-fashioned Colt 1911-45. That gun's been around since, you know, the, the turn of the century almost. Uh, almost 100 years. It's changed not really at all. I mean, it's had some safety modifications and some things done to slick it up. Uh, but it's really the same gun it always was. And there's a reason. It works. It works effectively. And it's a big gun. And when you shoot somebody with it, they go down and they stay down. You know, people get shot with 9 millimeters and keep coming. You get shot with a 45 in the chest, it's pretty much time for you to go away. And, you know, you know it as soon as it hits you. Uh, I, personally, I keep a, uh, a 1911 in my home as my home defense weapon, and uh, I really, really love the gun. And the model I particularly have is a Taurus PT-1911, which is a Brazilian-made version of the U.S. Classic. It was the most, uh, it was the most gun I could buy in the price point that I wanted to be in, which was that five to $600 price point. It's an exceptional firearm. I've had wonderful experiences with it. It's accurate. It's reliable. It's dependable. And I really love the way that it feels. It's got the grip safety, and it's a very safe gun, and I really like it, and it's something I highly recommend. But if you wanted a Colt Commander or a Kimber or, you know, any of the other versions of the 1911, they're pretty much all very, very good guns. Um, I guess, you know, if you look for something maybe a little bit easier to handle, maybe uh, easier for maybe a, a female to handle or a small frame shooter to handle, you move down into the 40 Smith & Wesson uh, semi-autos. I think they're a great gun. Nothing wrong with a 9mm. Uh, just my personal preference, if I'm going to be carrying a gun of any real size, if I'm going to be carrying a full-frame gun, I, I'm not a 9mm guy. Uh, I, I like the 40, uh, even the 10mm, the which is basically a 40 Smith & Wesson before they cut it down and, uh, and, and mitigated its power uh, for, for FBI guys that honestly had kind of limp wrists as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so those are kind of from the semi-auto. That's my, my preference. With a carry gun with semi-autos, it's kind of hard for a lot of people, uh, if you have a concealed carry permit or what have you, to be walking around with a full-frame government model 1911. And a lot of people don't want to carry a big gun like that. It's harder to conceal, uh, especially if you live, like I live in Texas, 104 degrees right now. Uh, there's just no real way for me to be walking around with enough clothing on to conceal uh, a large-frame handgun like that. One of the slickest little guns I've seen, and it is a 380, so you've got that limited power, but, you know, the first rule in a gunfight is have a gun. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, it, this little 380 is very affordable, $250, $260 at Academy I've seen them for. It's a little, the little Bursa 380. Uh, that is a slick little gun. It's reliable. It's dependable. Everybody I've talked to that owns one likes one. I'm thinking I'm going to pick one up pretty soon uh, just because I've heard so many good things about them and they're so affordable and it would be a nice additional carry gun to carry. Really, though, I think the best carry gun to have on you is a 38 revolver. Uh, it's a short two-barrel models. Uh, a revolver, you don't have to worry about a safety double action. You don't have to worry about a safety. It's long pull trigger. It's not something that's going to go off on its own uh, or get bumped and go off or something like that. Uh, but there's no safety to worry about in that panic situation, especially for maybe someone that's not highly trained, that's not sure how they're going to react if they have to use it. 
pull the trigger. That's all it takes with a revolver. They always go off and they don't jam. And there's a lot of these light-framed uh, 38 specials. And you can go 357 and keep that frame size about there if you, if you want to. I think it's overkill in a lot of situations. If you're in a close quarter situation, you put a couple rounds of 38 special into somebody, I promise you, their problems uh, have just gotten a lot bigger and your uh, odds of uh, being able to extricate yourself from that situation are quite good. My one, and I don't care, there's, there's some good models from Smith & Wesson, there's some good models from Colt, uh, Rossi makes some very affordable revolvers, uh, I'm not going to really you know, endorse any one brand, what I'll tell you is, don't go cheap, buy a good quality one, and if you're going to go with the revolver, look for something that doesn't have a hammer. A hammerless model that won't snag in a pocket or a holster. Or if you were trying to deploy them, let's say, inside a jacket pocket because you were being held up or something, and didn't want to pull the gun out and expose to the person that you're going to shoot that you have a gun, um, that lack of a hammer will allow that gun to be fired without any problems or interruptions if it's concealed. So I think that's that's the way to go from a revolver standpoint. Other than that, I mean, take your pick. There's a lot of uh, ranges out there, gun, indoor gun ranges and gun stores, where you can go in and you can say, hey, I want to just shoot a whole bunch of different pistols. And they'll basically rent you store models of all, you know, a whole bunch of different guns, and you can even hire an instructor to go in with you and, and, and kind of go over some things and procedures with you and help you improve your shooting. And uh, so, I, you know, I really recommend that you do that as you shop for guns. Why not actually go out, pick them up, hold them, point them, shoot them, and learn what works best for you? On that note, again, especially with handguns, I have three words of advice for anybody with their firearms. Practice, practice, practice. Becoming a good pistol shot takes a massive amount of discipline, dedication, and effort. And it's a great activity, and it's a good hobby, and I believe it's something to teach kids how to do. I mean, I believe if we train more children to properly use guns that have more respect for them, we'd have less, not more violence out of our children if we would teach them to understand respect and properly use firearms. I really believe that. So, you know, kind of that's, that's my advice there. Uh, let's kind of move on from there. Let's go on and talk about kind of rounding out that, uh, that uh, you know, trio of the firearms that make a good, you know, portfolio of weapons, let's say, for the modern survivalists. And, of course, the last one would be the rifle. Now, I actually think we need to subcategorize that down into two different rifles. I believe a 22 long rifle is one rifle, and then some sort of centerfire rifle is another rifle. Um, on the 22s, again, I think you take your pick. I, I'm a big fan of the Marlin uh, 22s. They're very affordable. They're extremely reliable. I have a Marlin Model 25 that I wrote an article about called This Old Gun. And, and maybe I'll post that article on the blog eventually, or I'll, uh, maybe I'll just read it as a podcast. Uh, but it'll tell you how much I love that gun, how much it means to me. Uh, I picked that old Marlin Model 25 up and... And I can I turn into a 13-year-old hunting squirrels on Pine Hill Mountain in Pennsylvania again. That gun's a time machine to me. And I love that gun. So, you know, my affinity for Marlin goes deep, and it is biased, and it is prejudiced. And I think that with all people that, that, that hunt and, you know, use farms for sporting purposes, we all have our bias and our prejudice. I'm just going to be honest about mine, and I have it with Marlin. But they're all, they're all decent. All the modern 22s are good. Uh, you have your choice of bolt action, semi-auto, uh, lever action, pump action. 
I think a good bolt action 22 is hard to fault. They don't jam. They're very dependable. They give you the greatest flexibility with using, let's say, instead of just 22 long rifle ammunition, 22 short and 22 long, and even a little 22 CB caps for pest control in areas where you maybe don't want a loud uh, bang, so to speak. So I think that it's an extremely versatile weapon, and a 22 rifle is definitely part of a good survivalist's um, portfolio of firearms. Last is a good solid center fire rifle. And uh, I have a lot of different uh, center fire rifles. I, I really enjoy shooting and reloading and, and hunting and, and all that good stuff. Um, and, and they're all great for, for that purpose. I, I can't really tell you, you know, buy this caliber. That's another thing that you have to kind of do your own research and what, what kind of area. If you're a hunter, what area do you hunt? If you're thinking of using this as a self-defense gun, um, you know, what kind of self-defense situation do you find yourself into? But I will give you my thoughts on a few calibers uh, and a few different types of guns and, and, and my thoughts on them. One of my favorite guns is a sporterized version of an M1917 Enfield, which was the uh, really the rifle that the U.S. used to win World War One. It, it is as popular as the Op3 Springfield was. Um, the the Enfield was made in much greater numbers and, and issued in much greater numbers. And if you know guns, you might say Enfield. That sounds like a British gun. And the 303 Enfield was used for years and years by the British. And it was a British gun, but when we needed more guns fast for World War One, all the plants, you know, Eddie Stone, Remington, Winchester, that were making Enfields for the British just started making them in caliber 306 for the Americans. And I have this beautiful uh, hand-cut stock. Somebody put some real love into turning this military weapon into a sporting gun. And that gun will drill a one-inch hole at 100 yards day and night, and it's, it's a wonderful gun. And I love the 306 caliber. It is, to me, the perfect balance of, you know, what most people can handle as far as recoil and still shoot well and power to take down guns. There's a lot of elk that went to the freezer by the 3006. So when you want a versatile, do-it-all caliber, uh, 3006 is hard to beat. You want something that's a little less uh, beating on you with recoil, uh, 3030 Winchester. People call it outdated, archaic, whatever you want. Millions and millions of white-tailed deer have gone to the freezer. Uh, lever action 3030 is uh, not likely to be anything that's banned anytime soon by our uh, our government. And uh, I'll tell you what, you can crack off five shots real fast. It's uh, it's a great weapon. Uh, I've heard lever action guns referred to as redneck assault rifles, and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me why you would call one that. So a 3030 is another great caliber, good medium game caliber. Uh, I don't think it's as, uh, as useful as a 306 for hunting, but if you really want it more for around the homestead, it's a hard gun to beat. When it comes to tactical carbines, there's a reason that the United States military uses a 223. They call it a 5.56 millimeter NATO, but it's a very low recoiling, highly accurate round that does a lot of damage on impact. So the AR-15 uh, uh, carbines, hard to beat uh, for that type of a situation. Uh, you want to be an inexpensive uh, home defense carbine. SKS is sell for under 200 bucks and brand new, right out of the crate uh, from Yugoslavia uh, condition. Uh, it's a 30 caliber, uh, you know, uh, round, same round as an AK-47 uses. Nowhere near the range of, let's say, a 3006 or even a 223. Nowhere near as accurate. Plenty accurate for home defense. Very inexpensive ammunition. I own a couple SKSs. 
Uh, I really like them. I don't know any AKs, so I'm not willing to pay the money for one. Uh, but the SKS is a good, inexpensive uh, weapon. If you want something that's uh, maybe a little bit different, gives you a lot of rounds of ammunition, very, very accurate, great weapon after about 100 to 150 yards, plenty of knockdown power, cheap to reload. It's hard to beat uh, a Marlin lever action 44 Magnum. The 44 Magnum is one of the most underrated woods carving calibers that I've ever seen. Hey, when you shoot a deer with a 44 out of a, of a carbine and you get that extra velocity from that longer barrel, I mean, it just flat floors a deer. I mean, it's just a beautiful, you know, something that they put on, uh, on the wildlife channel when you see a deer get shot and drop like a rock. It's an excellent gun, and I sure as heck wouldn't want to be shot with one in a home defense situation. Marlin makes a little 16-inch barrel uh, lever action 44 Magnum. They also make one with a 20-inch barrel. That's the one that I own. It is my favorite gun. And if I'm hunting deer in any kind of a wood situation where I'm not going to be having 200-yard shots in a field, that's what I take with me. It's light, fast handling, accurate, tremendous knockdown power. So those are just some of my thoughts about some of the different rifles. I mean, I can go into a lot of this stuff. I could talk about guns, ammunition, rounds calibers all day long. Uh, I think the important thing for people to understand when it comes to having firearms, though, is when you're starting out buying guns, don't buy where it looks cool. Think very utilitarian. Think what you most need for your situation. Do you hunt? If you are not going to hunt, it changes everything. If you are going to hunt, it changes everything. So that's kind of the first question. Then if you're going to hunt, what are you going to hunt in what type of area and what type of scenario? Those are good starting points, for, for especially for rifles and uh, for shotguns as well if you're going to do any small game hunting. All right. When it comes to home defense, how big is your house? How many people live in your house? What type of walls do you have? If you live in a highly densely populated suburban area, or you live, let's say, in an apartment where the wall next to you has people that live next door, you got to really think about that. And you don't want to go overkill with your gun. Trust me. You're going to be in a, in a home shooting. The average distance in a home shooting is 10 feet or less. So you don't need to be able to, you know, unleash this, you know, 45 wind mag cannon inside an apartment. It's probably irresponsible to do so. Learn about different ammunition choices. There's ammunition that's designed to give a tremendous amount of knockdown power and lethal force when deployed directly into a human. But when it hits a wall, it's very fragile and breaks up. Learn about what's going to work best for your situation. And above all, get trained. Don't make the government come in and wag more fingers in our face and get in our get in our get on our case with this. The sad fact is that when the when the when the Constitution was written, every boy and most girls too were taught by a father this is how a gun works, this is what you do with a gun. And that was the case in this country all the way up until about the nineteen fifties. We became more and more urbanized and we lost a lot of that tradition. I didn't, my family didn't lose it and I've taught my son. And I taught the, his friends that the parents that his friends were willing, you know, allow, allow us to uh, to make part of going to the gun range and things like that. So I mean, I've carried that tradition on. Millions of other Americans carry that tradition on. But there's a lot of people out there in the survival mindset that are saying, you know, I need to buy a gun. I, I need to learn how to use a gun. And all I'm saying is, spend some money, go get a professional, learn the proper procedures, learn the law. If you're in a state that offers a concealed carry permit, go get one. 
I don't even care if you don't carry. Go get one. The more people that have concealed carry permits, the harder it will be to ever take that away. Learn the states that offer reciprocity. Learn what's legal in your state and in your city for transportation and storage of firearms. Obey the law. Okay? Obey the law because the more of us that obey the law, the harder it is for them to come up with reasons to pass new restrictive laws. It's very important that as firearm owners we're responsible with what we do, with how we act, with how we conduct ourselves, with where we shoot, with when we shoot, with how we deploy our weapons. And when we get into a situation where we have to use lethal force, when that happens, then it's important that we know the law enough to answer questions properly when they're asked. Why did you shoot this man? Did you try to kill him? What's well, the right answers to that question? You know, in this state, it's not because you tried to kill him. It's because the person was an imminent threat and you wanted to stop him. You know, they happen to die. That's part of lethal force. But if your intent is to kill, a lot of times that will get you into trouble. And really, you shouldn't be shooting anybody with the intent to kill them, even if you need to, you know, deploy force for you're trying to save somebody's life or save your own life. You should shoot, you know, center mass is what they teach you with the intent to stop the attack. And if that person dies, you should actually feel bad about it. I really believe that. I would feel bad if I had to kill somebody. I'm not going to feel that bad if I think they were trying to hurt me and my family, but it would be regretful. I prefer that they live, right? And, and I think that we need to be responsible as gun owners to think that way. We need to learn the law, follow the law, adhere to the law. That's the, you know, the most important thing. And again, support... The National Rifle Association. See if your state has a state rifle association. I'm also a member of the Texas State Rifle Association. A good friend of mine, Victor, he's a member of the Illinois State Rifle Association. These are the organizations fighting for your rights, so be part of them. I hope you really enjoyed this podcast, and I'll try to do more about firearms in the future. I just know that i got a lot of people out there listening that aren't really, you know, gun nuts or into guns, so I want to keep it varied and interesting. If guns aren't your thing, don't worry. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to go into a totally different subject, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent.